2 Kings 5. 2 Kings 5. Okay. So as we present the question, you provide the answer by looking at your Bible in 2 Kings 5. And then we'll make a comment or two and we'll move on. We're all pretty familiar with the story of the cleansing of Naaman and his leprosy. 2 Kings 5. We're down in history a little bit. There has been a decline in both Israel and Judah. This, um, one, of the, one of the great or at least uh, sad events back in 1 Samuel 8. Let me ask you this. What did the people ask for way back in 1 Samuel 8? during the lifetime of Samuel, but after Samuel had grown old, what did the people ask for? They asked for a king. And why did they ask for the king? Say it. Oh, they wanted to be like other people. Other people. And that is a temptation today. You see, they didn't have the faith and the drive to be just personally responsible before God, but rather, rather they look for a king who would come and fight their battles uh, for them. So that's even a temptation today to want to, instead of being personally responsible before God, we want to find somebody else to do what we ought to be doing. And so that started a steady fall and decline among um, the people. They turned to idolatry. There were a few good kings among uh, the nations, but uh, by and large, uh, it was a steady decline to where both of the nations, Israel and Judah, found themselves going toward captivity. You read about that in 1 Kings and 2 Kings. Israel to Assyria, and eventually uh, Judah to Babylon. So here we are in 2 Kings and have um, an interesting story. Looking at your Bible, 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 1, Naaman was a commander of whose army? Alright, that's right. You see it there in your Bible, chapter 5 verse 1. He is the commander of the host of Syria. He is the commander for the king of Syria and that army. Okay. Notice that he's described there as a man of valor, a man of courage, who had led uh, his nation to several uh, victories. But what's the last thing that is said there about Naaman? He had leprosy. He had leprosy. Let's learn a lesson from this. Let's learn that sickness is common to all. Uh, sickness is no respecter. Of persons, let's be real about this. Okay, the reason that there is sickness in this world is because of the sin of man. Romans five verse twelve: Through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin. And so, sickness will always be around, as will other uh, events that eventually lead to death. A person is sick or has been sick doesn't mean they've necessarily done anything wrong personally. It is just the world that we live in. 
Lazarus was very close to Jesus, but he got sick and died. A man by the name of Epaphroditus, we read about in, in Philippians 2, he was very close to Paul. He was a fellow preacher, a fellow worker, a fellow servant of Paul, but he grew very sick and he nearly uh, died. Paul himself, according to 2 Corinthians 12, had a thorn in the flesh. He besought the Lord to remove it three times, but the Lord did not uh, do that. So sickness is something that is common to all of us. We need to be real about this. We need to be real. And we need to put more emphasis on heaven than earth. We need to put more emphasis on the spiritual rather than the body. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 plainly says that our outward man is perishing. And that's true for all of us. Every one of us. And we need to be real uh, with God concerning this. So even a man like Naaman, who is quite powerful in that world in those days, uh, he found himself uh, sick. In all things, of course, we need to bring glory to God. No matter what it is that we're facing, we need to seek to bring glory uh, to God. Going back to that chapter, or referring back to that chapter, Paul and the thorn in the flesh, 2 Corinthians 12, Paul said, I besought the Lord to remove this thorn in the flesh. The Lord said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So he's not going to have the thorn removed from his flesh, but rather he's going to rejoice, he says, in his weaknesses and his sicknesses, in his persecutions, so that the power of Christ may rest upon him. The simple fact is we give glory to God because he knows better how to make his will impact through our lives. And we submit to him. And so we see here Naaman was the commander of the Syrian army and he had uh, leprosy. Okay. Here is a second question for us. A little girl from uh, Israel served Naaman's wife. How did she get there? Verse 2. Hmm? She, was, she had been taken captive. Okay. Uh, if you'll notice verse 2 there, that on one of the raids, one of the raids of the Syrian army, somewhere in the land of Israel, she had been taken captive, and now she is away from home, and she is serving a commander's wife. Now, child trafficking is nothing new. It's no less evil, but it's nothing new. It is very tragic. Child trafficking, human trafficking, even today, has risen to be a great evil in our land. I have seen clips of the movie. I've not been able to see the entire movie of The Sound of Freedom that come out this summer. They were hoping to have two million people on July 4th to see the movie Sound of Freedom because there's about two million young girls a year out of this country who go missing because of child trafficking. And so 
we need to speak up and speak out against this great evil just as we have tried to do against abortion uh, over the years. The, um, the report is that um, child trafficking now has overcome drug trafficking in our nation simply because uh, the evildoers can make more money off of a young girl than they can a bag of drugs. You sell a bag of drugs to a man or a group of, of people and that sale is done and you move on. But with a young girl or young lady, maybe even a young man, and she can be used several times by different groups and more purchases can be made, more sales can be made, she can be used and abused by several different ones and so you actually make more money off of one little girl than you would a bag of drugs. It is simply an unmentionable crime, of course, but it's real in our land. And we must speak out against it. What are the guiding principles that would cause us to speak out? Well, like abortion, the principle of life being from God, and you shall do no murder because eventually they get through with the young girls and uh, her life is ended. Also, the principle of personal freedom. We are all made in the image of God, and God expects every person that is born into this world to have the freedom to serve Him. Think about the principles, think about the commands that God gives to all of us. It implies, these commands that God gives to all of us, implies that we need a certain amount of personal freedom to be able to carry out God's will. And so just being made by God in His image uh, implies personal freedom to be able to do this. We noticed from Genesis 6 this morning the, the tragedy of violence and theft. So in order to steal little girls, uh, there, has to, there has to be some violence. There has, to, there has to be some thievery involved. All these things are condemned, of course, in Scripture. So based on these principles, we must, as righteous people, we must, we must call this out. We must do what we can uh, to teach. This, these things will come up in conversations. These things will be brought out in front of us in years to come. We've got to be ready to talk biblically about these things. Romans 13 also, verses 1 through 7, talks about how that God set up governments for this very purpose, to go after the evildoers. The government officials were supposed to be a terror, not to those who do good, but they're to be a terror to those who are evildoers. And so we would need to encourage our government officials to do their job the purpose for which God has set them up, and to not bear the sword in vain, but to go after uh, these monsters. Okay. And so notice here, a little girl from Israel has been taken captive, and now she is serving uh, Naaman's wife. Third question, looking in your Bible there in 2 Kings 5, what did the little girl say to her mistress what did the little girl say to her mistress? All right. The little girl said to her mistress, her 
Naaman's wife, there is a prophet in Israel, in Samaria, who can cure this leprosy. She makes a wish out loud. Oh, that my Lord could be with that prophet in Israel and he could cure him of the leprosy. This little girl is very impressive. First of all, notice that at a young age, she has some knowledge of spiritual matters. She knows about Elisha the prophet. Okay? Even though she's, she's small and she's young, she understands about God. And that's very commendable of her. We recall in 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15 that from a child, Timothy knew the Holy Scriptures. And parents need to, of course, work toward this end. Another impressive thing about this little girl is she had the courage and the wisdom to speak up. Many people have the knowledge, but they don't have the courage and wisdom to go ahead and speak out about a matter. Notice that she also, she does these things under under stressful situations. It, she's away from home. She ought to be home with her, with her mom and dad. Somebody has stolen her from her land and from her family. And yet under these very stressful conditions, I can't imagine, can you? Can you imagine the emotions of this little girl? Can you imagine wherever her parents are and her grandparents are, they're missing her. They may not know where she's at at all. But under these conditions, she is still acting righteously before her God. Another very impressive thing is that she didn't leave her faith at home. Even though she's taken into a foreign land, she doesn't leave her faith at home. And we need to follow that example. And you know, a lot of people leave home and they cross the Florida line and they lose their faith and their clothes, don't they? We need to make sure our faith goes wherever uh, we go. A lot of parents, when they're Children uh, become teenagers, it's almost like they, they lose all sense of what they've been teaching their children all these years. Our faith must go anywhere with Jesus we will go. Our faith must go uh, with us. How commendable this is of her. Just like Joseph when he was in prison, just like Daniel when he was taken away, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were taken away, they took their faith with them. And that's what we must do as well. One of the most commendable things about this little girl is she got the ball rolling. She got the ball rolling. She just made a suggestion and then she got the ball rolling. We often ask, well, what can I do? It's, the world is lost in sin and I know that there is the gospel, but what can, what can, I, what can little old me do? Well, you can make a suggestion. And then trust God, and a lot of times, if we get the ball rolling, uh, God and His great providence uh, will take over. She just made a suggestion, and then the big folks took over from there. What if she had not spoken up? He'd have still had leprosy. That's right. It reminds us of a situation in Genesis uh, 14 when uh, you know Lot had chosen the land that was close to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, there was a confederation of kings in Genesis 14 who decided they were going to go towards Sodom and Gomorrah and they're going to steal a bunch of possessions and they took some people captive and lo and behold, Lot and his family were taken captive. But Genesis 14, 13 says that one escaped 
that raid. One did, somebody unnamed, just like this little girl is not named. One escaped and came and told Abraham. And guess what Abraham did? Abraham gathered a bunch of his servants who also just happened to be warriors, and they went and they, 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 they rescued Lot and his family from that raid. Just what if he had not escaped? What if, what if he had not told Abraham? Abraham? Then Lot would not, have, would not have been rescued. Please don't discount what one encouraging word might do for somebody. Don't, don't put down what one piece of literature might do for someone. A lot of times if we'll just get the ball rolling... What about just mentioning one passage? What about just one point from a song that we sing? What about just one point from the lesson in Bible class? What about just mentioning one point from the sermon on Sunday? It, you never know the condition of the person's heart you're talking to, and you might just get the ball rolling. So notice this question. What uh, did the little girl uh, suggest? What did she say to her mistress? And then the next question here. Uh, keeping your Bibles open to 2 Kings 5. How did the king of Syria respond to the little girl's suggestions? What? Yeah. He sent... Um, who did he send? He sent Naaman. Where did he send him? He sent him to the land of Israel. Okay. What did he send with him? Yeah, silver, gold, and changes of clothes. How about that? Some change everybody. Even a, even a king would appreciate some change, a change of clothes every once in a while. And he sent a letter. And in that letter he says, I, I sent my servant here, Naaman, and I want you to cure him of his leprosy. Okay. Let's, let's think about this point. Notice that, of course, these Syrian people... They're not God's people. But notice the compassion that is shown to Naaman here. His king, Naaman's king, does not want Naaman to continue to have this leprosy. He feels for him. And he, he seeks, he gathers uh, some of his servants together to be able to help Naaman get to the land of Israel. He's got the He's got the silver, the gold, the changes of clothes. Notice the compassion he is showing to his servant, Naaman. How does compassion arise among people who really do not know God? We see it all the time. We, we see people who really do not know God. They don't know their New, New Testaments. But nonetheless, they're very compassionate and benevolent toward uh, each other. How does that happen? Do it. Yeah, they're made in the image of God. That's, that's the image of God shining through uh, people. It's the influence of God in His people, but mainly the image of God uh, shining through. And that's, it's a wonderful thing to see. It's, it's interesting. So it gives us hope that people will receive the gospel if we give them half a chance uh, to hear it. Because deep down, everybody has has a heart of love. Deep down, everybody has some compassion about them. Deep down, everyone has some spiritual thoughts, some spiritual parts about them. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 
about loving your enemies. He said, love those that persecute you. Love those who are your enemies. And he said, if you love those who love you, then what have you done? Well, everybody does that. Okay? Even the publicans and the heathen do that. Okay? But notice that the, the publicans and the heathen, the, the worldly people, they love each other. They take care of the children. They love their families. They love their, their gangs, their villages. They love each other. They show compassion to each other because they're made in the image of God. In Romans 2, 14 and 15, remember Paul said that the Gentiles... He's kind of having a discussion of the old law of Moses. He said, the Gentiles oftentimes would do by nature the very things that are contained in the law. And he says, it's like the, the works of the law are written upon their hearts. It's so very true. Much of the law, especially the, the behavior parts of the old law of Moses and even the new law of Christ, many of the laws there are reminders to us of, of the kind of people we are to be. And it's just very interesting. Very interesting. Especially there where it says that it's almost as if it's written upon their hearts. There's sort of a, a conscience within all of us. A, a rightness and a wrongness within everybody. Even, even folks who do not attend uh, church anywhere, they'll have a rightness and a wrongness about them. Where does that come from? Okay. If, if there is a law within all of us, then who is it that gave that law? God. Yes, that's right. God gave that law. Very good. Very good. So, notice that the compassion that is shown by the Syrians uh, to uh, each other really points to God Almighty uh, as well. All right. So the next question, let's looking here in 2 Kings uh, 5. Why did the king of Israel tear his clothes? Verses 7 and 8. Look down there in your Bibles. Why did the king of Israel tear his clothes? He receives this letter. He, he receives uh, these uh, gifts. Okay. And uh, he, he begins to tear his clothes. Who am I, God? Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was undue stress. Undue stress on him. Okay. I thought it was a way to start an argument. Okay. So he basically thought that the, the king of Syria was trying to pick a fight with him in a roundabout way. He was saying, everybody knows that nobody can cure leprosy. Who am I, God? Okay. Well, he's sending me these gifts. He's saying, S -s -s you know, cure this man of his leprosy. He must be trying to start some kind of quarrel because he knows I can't do this. And then he's going to find out I didn't do it and he's going to try to start a, a war, a, a conflict of some sort. So he tears his clothes, but then Elisha, the prophet in those days, he sends a message to the king and says, stop tearing your clothes. Send Naaman to me. And that's what happens. Okay. Poor old king of Israel. His, his spiritual senses were so dull. Uh, he uh, evidently did not know enough about God and 
who the prophets were in those days. He evidently was just tied up in his own business. Uh, he had not bothered to know who it was among his own people um, that, could, that could bring the Word of God and bring the power that goes along uh, with the Word of God. The little girl taken captive knows more about the spiritual matters in Israel than the king of Israel does. Isn't that interesting? So the king of Israel doesn't know what he has within his own country. Back in, when I was in college, I worked at uh, some motor companies, and they used us young boys to do dealer transfers. And I worked for a Pontiac Cadillac dealership, and um, so we would do a lot of dealer transfers. One time, and you got to remember, okay, at this time, at about age um, 17, all I had ever driven was just whatever, you know, four-door Impala, four-door Pontiac Parisian that's about to break down, whatever dad could just muster to get us to drive. But I go to, they send me to Coleman one day, to a Pontiac dealership there, and what I drove back was a Pontiac Firebird, brand spanking new. Okay. But guess what? I didn't know what was under that hood. I'd never driven such a light car in my life. And, um, well, you're talking about having a good time going down Highway 69. I thought I was something. I rolled down the windows, I turned on the radio. I thought I was somebody in a bag of chips. <laughs> I didn't know what was underneath that hood. Okay. I soon found out. The prophet, the, the king of Israel didn't know what a prophet he had in Israel. There was a time when, when uh, in the church, <clears throat> uh, people respected the simple preaching of the gospel, simple presentation of the simple Gospel, and they, they led their children. They led their children to have respect for those who would simply bring the simple gospel, because they wanted their children to know the importance of the gospel and the importance of spreading of that word, keeping everybody informed of God's will. Sometimes we don't know what we have even among us, because we keep looking out uh, around us to see what others are doing. Notice this question. Why did the king of Israel tear uh, his clothes? Well, he didn't know what he had, what powerful talent he had in amongst his own people. Next question here, 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 9 to 12. Why did Naaman get angry? Why did Naaman get angry? Because Saul. Elisha. <coughs> Didn't obey God. Okay, why did Naaman get angry? It says plainly here that he even walks away for a while in a rage in verse 12. Um, notice the first words of, of Naaman. Okay, so, you know, Elisha had told the king, send him out my way. And I'll take care of him. 
So there goes Naaman and his chariots and servants, and they go out to, to uh, Elisha's dwelling. And Elisha does not come out, but he sends a message to say to him, go wash in the Jordan seven times and your leprosy will be cleansed. First words out of Naaman's mouth is, Behold, I thought. Behold, I thought. Behold, I thought. One reason he was getting angry is because he was putting his thoughts above the Lord's thoughts. Okay, that's the beginning of the end every time. All right? You remember when, when Paul confessed, Acts 26, verse 9, he, he was confessing about his former life. He said, he said, back in that time, behold, he said, he said, I verily thought, I verily thought that I ought to do all things contrary to, to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He was just as sincere as he could be back in those days, but he, he verily thought. Okay. He was putting his thoughts above the Lord's thoughts. And, and Jesus warned Peter about this, Matthew 16, 22 and 23, because you know, Jesus had just told Peter and the disciples that there's coming a time when, when I'll be suffering and I'll be killed and I'll be raised on the third day. And Peter took him aside and said, Lord, we'll never let this happen to you. And then the Lord said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, for you are minding the things of men and not the things of God. See, it's a habit of us to put the thoughts of men above the, the thoughts of God. That's one reason that uh, Naaman gets angry here. What's the second reason? He thought he was too good to dip in that nasty water. Okay. That's a good way of saying it. How else might, might you describe it? Pride, maybe? He was a Yeah. Maybe he was full of pride. He was, too, he was too good just to have a servant sent out to him. Okay. I, would, I would phrase it this way. All of what we're saying here is definitely true. I would phrase it this way. He was infested with the dramatic. Okay. Naaman, at some point in his life, he had, been, he had become obsessed with the dramatic, spiritual drama. Because notice what he says. He says, behold, I thought, I thought, first of all, that the prophet would come out here and stand next to me. That's first. And then secondly, I thought the prophet would call on the name of the Lord. And then thirdly, I thought the prophet would wave his hand across this place. And then after all of this activity, then the leper would be cured. And, and then he went on. He said, and what about the rivers of Damascus, such as the Abana River or the Farpar River? What, what about these rivers? Why are we dipping in this Jordan River when all these other rivers are, are available? And he went away in a rage. So he was infested with the dramatic. Now, there's no application of that for us today at all. Just forget it. There, no, none of that happens today. Okay, we're just. This is just a point in history. Just make the point and move on. That there's nothing like that. Nothing. No one's obsessed with the spiritual dramatic today. Okay, just just skip over that, and we'll go to our our next question here, and that is, 
Who encouraged Naaman to go ahead and obey? Naaman's servant. Here we are. Isn't it, isn't it interesting? Here we are. We're back to a servant. It was a servant girl who made the suggestion. Now, here's a servant of Naaman who's going to uh, do the proper encouragement here. Now, the King James Version has this best. Okay, here in verse 13, in verse 14. Okay. King James Version has it best. So the servant says to Naaman, if the prophet had bid you to do some great thing, would you have not done it? Now, we know that the answer there is yes, because we are, have already seen that he... He had a flair for the dramatic. Definitely, if the prophet had said, go do this great thing, then he would have done it. So then what about this simple thing? And with that little logic, from that little servant, Naaman was convinced to go and dip in the Jordan seven times, and he came back cleansed. The humility of a servant telling him what to do. Teaching him to be humble. <clears throat> Notice how simple this command is. I think it's verse 10 of chapter 5. Let's go back. The, the first command from Elisha was, it's simple. Go, wash yourself in the Jordan seven times, and then come back and you'll be cleansed. God's commands today are just that simple. You remember when Jesus healed the blind man, John 9, 6 and 7, what he did? With his saliva and some dirt, he made some mud and he anointed the man's eyes and he simply said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam and come back and you'll be cleansed. And the man simply went and did that. And guess what? He came back seeing Finally, when Naaman went and did the simple thing, he came back, his flesh was restored, and he was cleansed of his leprosy. Isn't that what we want with our sins, with our spiritual condition before God? Don't we want to be restored back to Him? Don't we want to be cleansed of our sins? Then why can't we just do the simple thing in simple trust and follow our Savior? Well, thank you so much for for uh, reading this together, answering these questions, and, let, and letting us make uh, these simple points. This story speaks to us. We're not surprised because Romans, 4, Romans 15 verse 4 says those things were written aforetime, written for our learning, that we might have hope. So as we sing here, and Paul's going to lead us, let's give... Uh, great consideration of where we're at in God's presence. Let's remember the simplicity before Jesus left earth. Mark 16, 16, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. God has always had the habit of making things simple. Will you come this evening together right now as we stand and sing?